When it comes to the topic of marriage and divorce and love and really our relationship with Christ, there needs to be conversations that always go back to the Word of God. And a lot of times this is the place because there's a lot of feelings that go into it that people aren't ready to just say, what is the chapter and verse? Where are you getting this from? And some of the views that we have heard and we'll be discussing on this show are controversial in that they are, I guess you could say, they're really strict outside of the strictness of Scripture and some which are far too loose outside of the strictness of Scripture as well. The Good Fight Radio Show. But to talk about all of this with me today is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Praise the Lord, Brother Jeff. Ready well, to go, man. Yeah, you know, and and before we even get into this, and, and guys, this is a topic, I, and I know Joe, you know, when we talk about it in depth, which we will in this episode, when we really get into it, this is a topic that over and over again comes up in pastoral ministry. And I don't want to get too deep into the woods there because we do want to do some things. We want to welcome so many of you that are here live with us, that are on the live chat. If there are questions, this is a great time not to ask them right now. You can, and I'll try to catch them as we go along. But this is a good time to say hi, say where you're from, encourage others that are on the live chat, and also share. Make sure people are sharing this. And for you guys that are on there, click like as well on there. That helps it boost so that other people can get this because the whole deal with us meeting together and having these live discussions is so we get a biblical understanding on these really, really important topics. Topics that, I mean, they separate churches. I mean, they separate families. They separate a lot of people, and we want to really dig into this. But before we even get into the topic, we want to welcome everybody to it. And as I said, share it. But we also have some shout outs we want to do to some people, specifically some young ladies that we got to meet when we were in New York, Joe. And you may have remembered them. Now, they made little things so that I would not forget, uh, so that I could say hello to them. And this is for Ellie and Bria Joseph. We're saying hi to you, as well as Haley Howard. We had to say hi to you. These Three girls, two of them were sisters, and they were just so awesome when we precious, came out to New York. Kids, so man. I know you met them, and they oh, I'm yeah. sure they want a shout-out from yeah, you, Joe. Yeah, Evan's uh, children and uh, Andy's. A couple of those are Andy's yep. children. Yeah. And shout-out to you, you girls. Praise God for you guys. Man, I could just see you guys love the Lord, and it was just a blessing to meet so many people out there. But that was one of the highlights, just seeing these families that love the Lord and, and getting to know the brothers and uh, Joseph and Ad or Andy, man. Had some great talks with him uh, up there. Uh, and since actually as well and what a blessing he is and we love you guys yeah amen we do we do awesome. and and like-minded believers and you know as joe was talking about that all came from us visiting new york a couple of months ago uh we stayed with the von i family out there was great brothers and sisters that we got to meet their family and the davidson family not related but uh uh to to me per se but uh related in the fact that we're all saved by the blood of jesus amen which is which we're, is we're related we're family <laughs> amen more, I guess, more so family than anything else is being a family in Christ. So that is awesome. And also being out there with the Bracken family, being out there with Mauricio and his wife and, and getting to know so many of our brothers and sisters who we had never met. Yeah, and different live stream groups, man. They just love truth. And people that are on Patreon. All those are great people. You got to baptize a number of people that are on our Patreon page yeah. and so forth. I mean, it was just a, a lot of a lot of fun. And, and these things, as we're going to be talking about, are really, really important for us to get into 
But we also wanted to say hi to everybody. You know, you guys are a blessing to us. I'm heading out this Thursday, next Thursday. I'll be heading out to Texas to see some of the group out there. And Joe, you will be going as well out in November, but I don't want to give out too much because we're going to give an update on that. And before we do, a lot of you guys who have been on the Good Fight Radio Show, following our podcast for the last couple of years since we started it, we're almost to 500 episodes, by the way, which we, we got to do man. have a little uh, live party on that night, a live show for you guys. But um, we are excited because a lot of you guys got to hear not only from Joe and I for now these couple of years we've been doing these shows, but also you used to get to hear from Tony as well. But now he's so busy with all the camera work. You guys don't get to hear him as much, but I am going to call Tony out right now because we actually were finally sent this. We have to have these special visitations from him. <laughs> so yeah, special visitations from Tony because we were given this and this was sent us in the mail and we're going to unveil it for you guys. Of Is what the logo? Did you guys already open and repackage it? I haven't seen we've it never, yet. We've never opened it. Uh, tape looks ripped. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, we hit the milestone of 100,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. We got a nice little letter. And we got, finally, our silver play button that says, Presented to Good Fight Ministries for passing 100,000 subscribers. YouTube. Wow. Praise the Lord. What's this letter say? You, you got to take that plastic off there, Tony. Yeah, it, well, the letter says, Don't say sure anything controversial. Rules, so we're going to take this away. You better not say anything about Bill Gates again. That's yeah. what I read on the front. Oh, what is that? Oh, look at that. It even has our name on it. Who would have thought? I figured we'd be in gulags, not uh, right. yeah. getting wars. Oh, well, praise the Lord. That's really cool. We did get it. We finally got it. And thanks to you guys for subscribing. And if you're new, it's a great time to subscribe to the channel. And, um, and I think we've been over 100,000 for six months, a year almost, no? Uh, over a year, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Better late than never. I was telling <laughs> the door YouTube. I can hey. never get in touch with those guys. How come you took that video down? No response. Yeah, that's usually what we get is, why did you take our video down? But at least they sent us a nice silver <laughs> uh, yeah, play that button. that was nice of them. I found I a secret backdoor into their support. Really? <laughs> you have to share that with me later, bro. Yeah. <laughs> is this staying here for, for the duration? Yeah, we'll just leave we'll it right there for, for it for now. Let's make sure it points out, man. Not down. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, exciting, guys. And, and thank you guys all for subscribing. And obviously, yeah, Tony, all very, the hard work. Grateful. If you're not a subscriber, Please subscribe work. because you're not going to find this content anywhere else. No, that's the most important thing. You get here. Yeah, that's the most important thing. Tony. Show. Yeah. Good to see you, Tony. Come back someday, brother. (laughs) Praise God, bro. But uh, thank you guys so much, and and you know from the bottom of our hearts, all you guys who have subscribed over the years. I know Joe. Before you did Beyonce, when I first came onto the ministry, probably about twenty thousand. So almost a hundred thousand growth since that video. Yeah. Um, And when I came on as well on Facebook, we only had. Um, about 6,000 people, and now we're up around 57,000. And if so. the views that were seen of that Beyonce video <laughs> would have been seen on our YouTube channel, uh, it's like hundreds of millions of views. Yeah, hundreds of millions of views. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, specifically. But hey, it's it okay. Praise God. The truth got out. A lot of people got saved through that. In fact, we just saw somebody just giving glory, glory to God for their salvation that just posted up there. Yes. And they'd seen that video, and that's how they got saved and were revisiting it. Yeah, it was a reminder to them. And, and I had told this story recently on a, a radio show that's. I did an interview for, but you know, when, uh, when, and for you guys who don't know, you guys can check out Beyonce, the Super Bowl, Sasha, and Satan, which is one of our most watched videos uh, out there. It is our most watched video out there. And one of the cool stories that I like to tell from that was the fact is, is my son was born in January. It's no reason I can date this. And Super Bowls happen in February. 
So I know that in February, later that month, just a couple of weeks after the Super Bowl, we were in Israel and you were giving a talk at a pro-life conference in Israel. Mm -hmm. And my wife was with our new son and then my friend Eric. And I said, Eric, I have to work the booths and stuff inside of here. Can you watch when Holly goes out there? She's going to be outside of the conference by herself when she feeds the baby. So, So he went out with her to go feed the baby and a young man came up and they're like talking to him. So blah, 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 blah. How'd you get to the conference? So forth. And he basically said, I just gave my life to Christ. You wouldn't believe it. It just a couple of weeks ago, I was on the internet. And next thing you know, I look at this video and it's crazy. It was about Beyonce and the Super Bowl. Here it is. And he goes, don't you recognize the voice that's speaking in the crowd inside of there? That's the guy who made the video. And that guy had come to Christ in Israel and then was at a pro-life conference that Joe was speaking at in Israel. I mean, this is just, it's just incredible. And and it is a lot of the reason that I started here at Good Fight Ministries, was answering questions and so forth. Yeah, so. that video blew up. I remember Tony came to me, he goes, yeah, one of the guys in my soccer team, he said, check this video out. I think it was hockey. Or that's yeah, soccer? Hockey, hockey, hockey yeah. He plays soccer too. But yeah, it was hockey, that's right. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, that's my pastor. Yeah. Yeah, so we And I people. edited that video is what Tony probably said. <laughs> yeah. So his editing is the best part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. No, it, it's exciting. And, and guys, it really is exciting. All the things that are going on in the ministry. And we, we thank you so much who have come alongside and support. And that's why we brought that out in the beginning. And that's why we have the live stream is to thank all you guys and to see you. And that's why we're trying to do more of these. Uh, so and that there, we, And there's a lesson there. Yeah. Share things that have it, especially when they're a strong salvific message, you know. People sharing a million things. It's like, share things where you, people actually that relate to the culture they're in and that are kind of classic and say, hey, why should you be following these things and lift up the name of Jesus? Because the Bible, that's a big part of our ministry. You know, uh, the, the uh, radio show that Chad does, the news show, 511 News, that's named after one of the favorite scriptures of this ministry for years is Ephesians 511, uh, where it says specifically to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. I just did a teaching on the Holy Spirit yesterday and how that says the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. That same Greek word convict is translated expose. Christians are commanded to do and then by the help sin. of the Holy Spirit as he convicts the world of sin through the believers as we're salt and light of the world. And that goes on to say to the sleeper to wake up and the light of Jesus will shine on him. So when we expose things, we bring the light of Christ to what's going on in the world and it wakes people up to the darkness that they're in and then they see the freedom through Christ. So this ministry is a lot about uh, doing exactly that because the world's just engulfed and entrapped in thick, deep darkness and it's only the power of Christ and the gospel which the Bible says is the power of God is salvation. Everyone who believes the Jew first, also the Greek, that breaks and shatters those chains. So continue to share the gospel. Continue to be Christ-centered. Don't get your focus off of sharing the gospel and sharing Jesus with people. But we like to share it in such a way in obedience to the scripture where we expose the lies that are so prevalent today. Idolatry is the biggest sin we see throughout. And I'm preaching now, but it's just on my heart. Idolatry is the biggest sin we see throughout scripture. Just go through the Old Testament. And it's not as though it's disappeared. Today, people are worshiping all kinds of different things, whether it's money or themselves or whatever. And we need to let people know, hey, all idolaters go like a fire and you need to turn to Jesus and we need to all be about our Father's business. No, amen. And one of the biggest things here at Good Fight Ministries is, you know, we've dealt with this also because it doesn't just stop inside these doors and inside the screen because a lot of us do a lot of evangelism and outreach to those who are involved in drugs and so forth. And one of the things that I noticed was I would get involved and talk with people that were involved in rehabs and AAs and NAs, CAs and BAs and what and, and so forth. And a lot of times they would tell you all the terrible things that are going on. And then I found online so often, oh, look at all the terrible things that are going on. People exposing this and exposing this and exposing this. 
and then it never gets led to the answer. And I think that's, you know, it's typified in a lot of the governmental problems that we have as well, where it's, here's all the problems, here's all the problems, I'll give you a solution, but the solution is never is, come to Christ. Yeah. And, and the reality is, is that's what we want to do. We want to come to Christ. And that's why you're going to find on those videos, like the Beyonce video, like the Kesha video, like the one, the ones on Katy Perry, like the ones on Lady Gaga and so forth, you're going to see the darkness and it's going to be exposed and it's always going to come back to the gospel, which brings me to an awesome update that we have for you guys. And I'm so excited you guys are here. And I know you guys are here for the question of what does the Bible say about divorce? And we are going to answer that, but I have to give you this update because it's more than exciting. Now, I say that as in literally, as Joe was walking up so that we would do this live show, he starts letting out some cats from the bag and I'm gonna tell you everything. No, I'm not gonna tell you everything. I don't wanna ruin it. I will not ruin it for you right now. I'll keep myself and and have some self-control. It's a fruit of the spirit. But I will tell you this, what I just heard probably, and I say this about every time I find something new out on the new documentary. If you didn't know, we are working on a documentary here at Good Fight Ministries. In, in fact, we have hired on another full-time editor and a part-time editor, as well as having Tony, just so we can get this done and get this out to you. And it's We're changed- Marvel and DC, for those of you just tuned in. <laughs> That's right. Exposing Marvel and DC. I mean, this is, I you talk about me. icons of the day. There is nothing bigger mm. out there right That's now. Right. That's just the reality. And the fact is, is that every time I go into a meeting, a good fight meeting, every time we come back with some information, I go, that's crazier than the last thing I heard. And I'm floored every single time. So I can't wait for you guys to get this. But Joe, I'd love for them to see some of the development about what we're going to do, because this was going to become a seven hour, eight hour yeah. video. Well, what Chad was referencing yeah. when I came in, I yeah, shared sorry. something that was jaw dropping with the guys. I always shared a little bit with Tony. Uh, that is in our first installment, which I'm going to let you break that down in a minute. Yeah. Uh, that is, I'm like, it couldn't get any better. I'm like, and I just said, Lord, you've already given me so much. We've already just got this thing nailed. But I still prayed, even though I know I'm supposed to be like the last voiceover for this first part that's coming out real soon. And I was like, man, Lord, if there's anything else. And man, I can't say it. And this came up because I was sharing with these guys and they're just excited. I go, yeah, we'll talk about it just a little bit. I can't give it out because this thing's going to be out hopefully in a month, you know, three weeks to a month now. Uh, and what I just, Chad would probably agree, that's probably probably pretty much among the heaviest two or three things we're revealing in this whole thing. In fact, it's probably right up there in the top two or three. Right there. And a lot of people say number one. And it was something nobody pretty much knows. And I didn't know until a couple of days ago when I felt the Lord answer my prayer. Can't believe what I found. The nug gold nuggets of exposition in regard to how this all thing, all, already, already had, already had it all tied together, but it's like, it's like icing on the cake. And it's in part one. So that segues back to you. <laughs> yeah, so he uh, didn't mention that this, what would have been turning into an entire eight-hour, seven-hour. Seven seven um, seven hours maybe, but seven parts. Seven, But that's exactly what, um, what we're talking about, is that instead of having just this one block and say, you know, set aside half your day and watch, set aside your work, your work schedule and watch this, we're actually going to be doing this in installments. So we can get this out sooner rather than later. And in fact, as of right now, it looks like, and by the way, hours and hours have already been edited. So don't think that, oh, he's just jumping on some voiceovers. Hours and hours no, no. of this uh, film has been edited. And the first installment that you'll get, if you get it, it'll be an hour and a half to two hours. So it'll be a, you know, kind of, you know, An introduction, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, but, and it's not just an introduction. No, it'll be it'll be standalone. And the reason oh, yeah. for, as we sat down talking about this, and every time he would come out with more information, I'm like, dude, that's its own video. Yeah. I'm like, is there any way we can do this? And Joe's like, let's do it. Let's do let's do multiple parts. 
And that first part is not only going to be coming out sooner rather than later. And Lord willing, it looks like it will be out before we visit uh, Texas. We'll be doing it in November with Joe. I mentioned that earlier. Which is the reason I thought, yeah, let's break it up because we're getting close, but we're going to probably have it in production being duplicated while we're in Texas. It's like it makes a lot more sense to put out in piecemeal, uh, section by section, because we already did the on-camera stuff a couple weeks ago. We thank you for the prayers for that. That went great. And I introduced different sections. So it's like it works really well to put this whole thing out in sections. Then we'll put it all together as one big package in the end so you can watch the whole thing just seamlessly as well. Yeah, amen. And and one of the cool things is I, I know that if you're on Patreon, you got to see a lot of the behind the scenes. So we gave you behind the scenes video and pictures. That's patreon.com slash goodfight if you're on there at any level and you were able to see a lot of that stuff. So some of the people don't know all the things that are on Patreon right now for those who are subscribing. And something that we're going to be doing for our Patreon subscribers is if you come in at the silver Patreon level or anything higher, we're actually going to be giving you a viewing earlier than anyone else for every single installment of this series. So we are so excited to be able to do that. And because we're able to do that digitally, you can get it a lot sooner before we even get DVDs printed or anything. And we're going to be able to do that for anyone that comes alongside Good Fight Ministries on our Patreon subscribers. And you will get the first chance early access to be able to see that. So if you want to subscribe and be a part of that, which is going to be sooner rather than later uh, in terms of the first installment, you can do that at patreon.com slash goodfight. And that's a lot of times when we do live shows as well. That's a lot of the answers or a lot of the questions that we're getting are from our Patreon subscribers. And we thank you guys so much who've come alongside yeah, us. We're that's been very, huge. very, very grateful to yeah. you guys, man. It's such a blessing and something I haven't shared with Chad or Tony or the rest of the crew yet. Uh, that's on my heart to do. And we'll talk about it and make some final decisions. But I think that's going to be a blessing to our community of our family of faith that's part of a good fight. You guys that are involved, whether you're Patreons or not, we're all together in this in Christ that are going forward. Is uh, if this thing would be, you know, if, if it ends up on the internet, we'll probably get nailed with fair use at first. And then they'll see, yeah, you know what? That we can't keep this thing off because there it's an expose and they're following the rules within the fair use clause. But sometimes it takes a while to get it back up there. So, uh, there's a lot of video clips we use. Of course, a lot of them are for movies and so forth, Marvel and DC and so forth. It's mind-blowing stuff when you see what they're doing, you put together. So I'm thinking, man, how can I get this thing out? of? And we spent a ton of money, of course, trying to get this out. Uh, be great, but that's only secondary recouping so we can do more things is way, way after Christ. So I thought, how can I get this out for free to everybody the best way I could without getting dinged by by uh, YouTube, who just gave us this award, right? <laughs> but who uh, many of the people in you that are part of Google and YouTube and so forth, obviously, uh, would probably not like our message. And and we're all about the truth and about Jesus. But what I'm what I'm planning on doing, I was going to share with you guys, and I'm just going to share with you guys as well, is for every part. Let's say it ends up being seven parts. The first part's going to be coming out. I said a video real quick, right? Uh, next month, hopefully by before the end of the month. But let's let's hopefully by the end of the month. I hate to give. I, I never, you know, Jesus didn't even give the day and the hour, right? So I don't give days and hours of, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm just a little guy compared to Jesus, right? So what do I know? But we don't know exactly when it will come out because this thing, the new revelation by the grace of God of seeing what's going on in this movement, even beyond what he was already revealing, is so powerful. So I was like, you know what? I want to get out. And this first one is a standalone, by the way. If you just saw this one, your eyes would be sticking out. You'd be like, Man, I got to get these people's hands. And it, the, I'm gearing it, we're gearing it to witnessing and bringing people to Christ, but also making the church aware of the idols that we're into and how we need to be very careful of the messaging that's going on from Hollywood 
and, and so forth, which many of you guys are already aware about. But what I was thinking of doing, and I'm considering doing strongly, is doing a live presentation of every part, right? So, and that live presentation won't have a bunch of video clips because we'll get dinged. So it won't have a lot of stuff video-wise that's in the actual video itself, which people can grab because that'll be way more eye-opening in some ways. But that'll be just as eye-opening in other ways because I'll be using a lot of pictures and I'll be telling the same story and we'll be sticking those up on our YouTube channel. So you basically, if you're saying, man, you know what? I can't drop $14.99 or whatever because I got to go to Starbucks. Just kidding. That's how some people are though, right? Uh, or whatever. Uh, you can, I'm going to try to provide the information live or, or free uh, in between each video. Try to get a live one done. Maybe I'll do it here or when I'm in Texas or when I'm in Idaho or wherever we're, I'm at next, Tennessee, wherever we're doing presentations. Uh, do, I'll, we'll be doing live ones. So you're going to actually be able to get all these on YouTube in a different live format. And a lot of people actually love We've got They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll, which a lot of you have seen, right? We also have Rock and Roll Sorcerers of the New Age Revolution, which I'm at Patelosai Christian Center, huge church that's filming it when I'm like, you know, a, a thinner, I say a thin guy, a younger guy, I was like 240 pounds, but I was thin compared to, you know, I'm now, I'm mostly muscle, but hey, I was like 245. Everybody's like, hey, you're so thin there. I was like 240, 245 there. You know, I was built kind of like a linebacker. But I was gonna say is that that video, I did is a bunch of slides with very few video clips. A lot of people still love it as their favorite video on, the, on, on music because it's considered classic. And we still make that available called Rock and Roll Sources of New Age Revolution. And that's when I think I'm in my 20s or something, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, so this will be a very, very effective way of sharing with everybody. So it will get in everybody's hands. I think it will really be a blessing to pe the YouTube, people that are into YouTube type stuff because they're gonna be seeing stuff that they're never gonna see anywhere else on YouTube. Not in the way that we have a take. Although there's some people doing some uh, good uh, exposés like uh, Little Light Studios. You yep. know, we don't agree with the, where they're at theologically in some areas and they disagree with us. But uh, no, to, to, totally about their ministry and everything. But with uh, some of the stuff I've seen that, that they have on, yeah. on comics, one of the few that actually having the courage to expose Yeah, they got stuff on anime some really good and stuff. video games and stuff uh, yeah. as well. So they, they're out there. And, uh, you know, it is. Uh, I'm so excited for all of this. You know, if you guys didn't know all the, the time that's been poured into it, all the effort... And this is strictly for the gospel. That's why we want to get this out there. So take a lot of our lives, you know. <laughs> My wife's like, "When do I get you back?" <laughs> no, we're staying busy, and you know the the ladies at our church are at a women's retreat this weekend. So if you guys, I just want to ask you for your. Uh, patience. If you hear any knocking on the walls or anything loud, that's because my children are here being wa <laughs> being watched Eli, by uh, a total of just themselves in the room next door. So <laughs> keep that in prayer uh, that nothing gets taken and ripped or broken down. But nonetheless, we are excited to talk about this because we're talking about, uh, you know, our both of our wives are away at, at a women's retreat. They're involved in the church. They're loving Jesus. Uh, we have marriages that I know for myself and, and yours included that I would not trade my marriage for anyone. I absolutely love being married, but the reality is, is a lot of people are very confused, and that's that's just the truth. And I've seen, as I said, some very, um, I would say, strict. And I, I think strict. It's all. There's nothing wrong with being strict if it's according to scripture. I want to be strict according to scripture, but there are people that go outside of what God has given in the limits, and that's where we need to answer those. And there are those that are very loose on this subject. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons for the giant divorce rate that is inside and outside of the church, even though I think some of those numbers are skewed, but the reality is, is divorce is happening. And we've seen it happen. We've seen reasons for it happening. But we want to dig into the scriptures. And what does the scripture teach about marriage? And what does the scripture teach about divorce? Is it ever okay to remarry? 
what are the what are some of the ramifications that take place when there's that split up where God has brought something together that no man was supposed to separate. So we want to talk about these mm-hmm. things because there's been damage done. There's been brothers and sisters in Christ completely separated. There's some people leave leave churches, right? Uh, pastors not standing up for it. So we really want to dig in this with you. I see some questions. So when Joe's answering questions, I'll try to get them for us. But hopefully, a lot of them are going to be answered just by the back and forth of Scripture and talking about what God's Word says about marriage and divorce. But I think before we talk about divorce, we should probably talk about, Joe, what does God say about marriage in terms of the Bible? Yeah, and uh, to, to really militate against the rising divorce rate in the nation and the church compared to where it was certainly in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, uh, and it being illegal in this nation uh, until Ronald Reagan had passed a, uh, as a governor of California, a basically no-fault divorce law that allowed for that, which uh, according to his son, I read his book uh, called Twice Adopted, uh, one of his, his more conservative son who claimed to be Christian, adopted by the Reagans and then adopted by God when he became born again. He said that his dad said it was his, his worst blunder that he'd ever made. Uh, and then after, you know, Cal- what happens in California gets spread throughout the nation, and before you know it, that's a lot of land. Uh, but prior to that time, it was a lot harder to get a divorce. And, and it's interesting because when you recognize, and this is what we encourage people to do, is go to the Scripture, of course, as Chad has been mentioning. What's God's plan? What What is marriage about and so forth? And so we can get into a lot of those questions. I won't really, you know, talk too deeply in this because I just did a four-part series on how uh, Christ and the church is depicted in the bride being the, the 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 picture of the church, and and the husband being a picture of Christ, and Jesus. And Paul calls it the Mega Mysterion, the great mystery. Those words in chapter twenty-five through thirty-two, specifically in verses thirty-one and th- uh, thirty-two, Paul says, you know, a husband would leave his parents, cleave to his wife, the two would become one flesh, and he says this is a great mystery. I'm speaking of Christ, in reference of Christ and the church. The one flesh, the picture of two becoming one, is the picture of Christ and the church becoming the body of Christ and the marriage was part of God's plan in regard to not throughout time and eternity as the Mormons teach time and eternity and that you're married to several wives according to a lot of Mormons in the past for time and eternity no Jesus said there in the, in in heaven that we'll be like the angels we won't marry or be given in marriage and so the question is asked you know why then did he give us marriage now because it's a picture of the ultimate marriage that we have in it's a metaphor uh, for our union with Christ that we'll have for eternity the, all the best things in a marriage and that make it the most beautiful are a picture of what we ultimately have in Christ with the, the joy and exuberance and love that we share spiritually with Him. It's all very, very profound. I did a four-part series regarding Christ and His bride and how Jesus is called the bridegroom. Uh, you know, He talked about, you know, the coming wedding banquet and so forth and that uh, even as a husband in those days to be would go and make a wing, would put a wing on his daddy's house to invite his wife over to become married and then they live there Jesus said I go to prepare a place for you the bride of Christ the church uh, in my father's house are many mansions a dwelling place for so I would not tell you but I uh, go away prepare a place for you that I'll come and receive you again myself and that will be with him forever so there's something really profound about marriage and that's why Satan hates it Satan hates Christians he hates God he hates those who are made in his image us as human beings but he also hates the whole picture of redemption he couldn't be redeemed he sinned with a high hand and, and his whole nature is just fully wicked. Jesus didn't die for angels, Hebrews chapter 2. So marriage in itself is sacred in God's eyes because it's something that's not to be secular. It's something that's supposed to reflect his plan. And that's why it's imperative that husbands, as Paul said, are to lay down their lives as Christ did for the church 
sacrifice ourselves for our wives. And that doesn't mean just stepping in front of a bullet if they're, if they're threatened. But that means by we die by little cuts every day in certain ways. We, we make sure that we go the extra mile to help them out and, and love them and be there for them. And, the, and wives are supposed to emulate and be a picture of what the church ideally is supposed to be in following the leadership of their husbands and submitting to the leadership of their husbands. Unless, of course, the husband tells them to do something unbiblical. The Bible says when you're told to do something contrary to the word of God, it says better it will be God than man. But so, so we really need to understand the beauty of why God created marriage uh, in the first place. Uh, and I think when that happens, there was a couple on the verge of divorce that had come from town far away from Simi Valley, and he'd been watching our videos, and they wanted marriage counseling. She's a social worker, and they were on the verge of divorce. He had cheated on her and so forth. And I just got to know both of them, and we had a really good uh, talk together. And when I explained to them the picture, the church, and that, that there to be a picture of Christ in the church, she ends up coming to Christ, getting born again. He says, I had no idea what marriage meant. Now he says, he used the illustration like with his hand. He's like, now I see it way up here. Like, what are we doing? And their marriage got patched up and it, it became beautiful. And, uh, and you know, I, I just, you need to understand that. So now, we, but the scriptures, people say, well, why does God say these things about divorce? And how does that fit my life? And how does that apply? And then we can work through the scriptures on that now. Yeah, I think that's really important. And, you know, one thing, you know, I would just say just as I'm, I'm going to be, wow, it's kind of crazy. It's uh, next April's a decade. I'll have 10 years of marriage next wow. April, which is really weird to think about. I feel like we got married last year. But uh, but one of the things I, I just wanted to encourage us before we dig, amen, before we dig into some of the scriptures that talk about divorce, um, I, I just wanted to say, in, in in our house, unless it's to denigrate the word, that word is not even allowed. Uh, you know, it's just, it's never even a, oh man, should I look at porn today? Like, I don't even, it's not even something yeah. that would ever click into my head. Like, maybe I should do this and try this out. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that is never in the vocabulary. It never comes into question, no matter if we're in a, we're having a struggle with one another or whatever it may be. But these things are in the word of God and they are important to look at. And I think the first starting point has to be Malachi, you know, where God explains that he does hate divorce. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a there's an amazing context to that as well with everything that was going on at the, the temple period. But just I think by its very nature with God expressing that is very important for us to understand that God clearly does hate divorce and that God did say in his word. And he does say to us, just as Jesus uh, told the Sadducees, have you not read was spoken to you by God. And the fact is, when we read these words, Jesus is speaking to them. He may have been talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, but we read these words and recognize they they mean something to us and that God is speaking to us in these words. And so maybe uh, we could start off, if you wanted to, Joe, in Matthew 19, if you want to talk about divorce, or is there somewhere else that you wanted to well, start let, with? Let's, this is let's more go, open discussion. Yeah, so let's go not. for that, but let me piggyback just for yeah. a moment on Malachi, uh, where he says he hates divorce. And it's in that passage where he talks about uh, those who are weeping and so forth, and he's talking about that, you know, questioning whether they have the Spirit of God uh, because they're just divorcing their young, their older wives to seek out younger wives and so forth, and foreign wives at that as well. And he says, I would have you would have had you bring up godly offspring. So the, the concern of the Lord there is he hates divorce because obviously it's like ripping I mean, if you ever had two boards that are glued together and try to rip them apart, they take pieces of each other. It's an ugly mess, you know. And when two become one and they're ripped apart, in a, you know, it, it can be, you know, very, very ugly situation. And when he says, I would have you bring godly, uh, godly offspring, uh, divorces are most painful and they break my heart the most when, uh, in regard to the children, you know. 
millions and millions of children, millions and millions and millions and millions of children have uh, been harmed uh, in some of the worst kinds of ways through uh, divorces, you know. And when, it, when there's not grounds for a divorce and it takes place because somebody's being selfish and they have no biblical grounds and they disobey God in doing so, uh, there's a lot of ramifications that are, are sad there. And uh, But I just want to say a little bit about Malachi chapter 2 there because that's very, very instructive. In fact, the hippies in the counterculture revolution in the 1960s were all spouting how, oh, free sex, you know, free love, we should be able to be with anybody. In, and they just, oh, the kids, they don't need two parents and stuff. And since then, even a lot of those hippies, when they grew up, you know, and matured, started writing apologies or writing about how they were wrong. And wow, now we look at the fallout here and what's happened to a lot of these kids uh, that, that didn't have two parents. And, and if you're a single mother, single father, and you're doing the best you can in Christ, and you don't have a choice in this situation because you're left with a situation like that, you know, you can in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you ought to, and I encourage you to, and hopefully you are, bring your children up in Jesus and show them as much of Jesus as you can in your own life by your own de dedication to him and devotion to him and your devotion to your children in a Christ-like manner where you not only example uh, Christ to them, but where you share the love of Christ through your prayers to them, through being there for them, through spending time with them, through letting them know you care for them, letting them know that you're a real, genuine believer so they can see who Christ is. But the optimum uh, for a married couple is, is staying together if you can. Yep, amen. And that, that's God's design for it. And if you guys don't notice, we don't, we're not just sitting here and going to be talking about this subject as in a vacuum. Let's just, let's just get the black and white and let's, let's make sure we, we want to. And Joe, being a pastor for the amount of years you've been a pastor, dealing with these issues, they're not just something that's, oh, you know what, these are just written words on a chalkboard and we have to figure out a problem. The, the reality is there's human beings, there, there's people that you've cared about, that you've cared for, that you've dealt with with these issues. There's people that have come from, had the criteria that God gives, and we're going to read from it, had the criteria that they could divorce, but yet reconciliation was brought. And, you know, we, we're going to be talking, obviously, about whether someone could remarry. We're going to be talking about God's divorce of Israel. You know, things yeah. that, these are important topics and we need to address them all. But I guess the best place to start is let's go to the words of Jesus. We talked about Malachi already, but let's also go to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. And by the way, just let me say, yeah. I've counseled and with regard to Matthew 19. That's usually often where I start, that in Genesis chapter 2, God makes the two one, right? He blesses them, pronounces good, be fruitful and multiply. The book of Genesis, the Greek word for beginnings, right? Uh, that's the And Jesus is going to refer to that. So I start to Matthew 19 often because he brings us back there and... Uh, but I've counseled, done, you know, hundreds of marital counselings. I mean, I married a ton of people, and I usually do three or four premarital with each couple that I marry. Uh, and my wife often uh, does that with me. And I've been married uh, for decades now, uh, <laughs> successfully by the grace of God and His Word, by applying what He says to my marriage. And I want to encourage you in that because one of the things I start with too when I talk about marriage with people is. The Bible says without the foundation, there's no foundations. You know, how shall the righteous stand if the foundations are gone? We need biblical foundation. And I go to Matthew chapter 7, and I talk to them about in Matthew chapter 7, how Jesus talked about building your house on the rock, and that you guys, if you're getting married, you better build your house on the rock and build your, you're, you're going to have storms. The storm's going to come, but you're either, if you're built in the sand, your marriage is going to sink, man. But if you both build your life, your house on the rock, the words of Christ, and that's how he defines that, it'll stand when the storms come. And I let them know, you know, that there's going to be storms. Paul said, if you get married, 1 Corinthians 7, there will be trouble in the flesh. There's going to be some struggles. There's going to be some trouble. And anybody who's married and they've been married for some time 
some time is lying if they say there's never been any troubles or never been any struggles. And they also take them uh, to the Psalms, Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. And it says, except the Lord build the house, the laborers labor in vain. Right? Except the Lord keep the city, the watchmen watch in vain. So the Lord needs to build your house. You need to build on his rock. You need to build according to what he says in his word. And then I show them right after that where the Lord talks about how the fruitful household around the table, the husband, the wife, the kids, and it's like a fruitful vine, which is a great agrarian picture in that culture of just life. And it should be at us as well, but really rated them. The, those verses in the beginning and end, they're bookended by happy is the man who fears the Lord. And that we need to have the fear of the Lord when it comes to marriage. So I emphasize that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I emphasize in Ephesians chapter 5, which is the longest text you'll find in the New Testament on marriage. Uh, in read verse around 1920, before he goes into the roles of the husband and wife, he says, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. There is, again, the fear of Christ. So I encourage people, and I think this is the missing ingredient for a lot of marriages, is that there's no fear of God. You know, a man doesn't fear being involved in adultery or pornography. He claims to be a Christian. He doesn't fear Christ. He doesn't realize he's under severe judgment if he doesn't repent. And Or a sister that disregards her marriage and is more into Facebook and attention from old friends at high school than, than giving her husband and her kids attention. That's serious stuff. So the fear of Christ needs to be there. So I'll sometimes ask the, the newly, the, those who are newly to be wed in premarital counseling, I go, would you change in the way that you treat each other if the other person's parents were there? And they're like, they usually say, well, I'd be on my best behavior or something to that you know, extent. And I say, well, guess what? Someone more important than so-and-so's dad is there. Jesus is there, man. He's not in the closet like a parent listening. It's not like someone's eavesdropping. He's there, man. And the Bible says a husband doesn't dwell with his wife in an understanding way, right? And he doesn't understand that she's the weaker vessel, right? She's made differently than him. She's effeminate. She's made in such a way where she's exquisite and more like, as I say, the champagne glass, and he's more like the root beer mug. And he, he doesn't treat her as a co-heir of the grace of Christ. He goes on to say and talk about it. It's very, very important that uh, his prayers will be hindered. That's serious, man. That shows you that your prayer life and your relationship with God, God's watching how you treat your wife. Amen. And then he goes on to say right after that, God's ears are attentive to the righteous, but he turns his ears away from the wicked. So now a man who doesn't regard his wife and love her as a courier of the grace of life, uh, as a you know believing wife, now we're doing, not, not believing wife is a whole other thing. You need to love them and look at them as your mission field, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Peter 3. Married a non-believing husband, you can win him without a word, both your respectful and quiet behavior and so forth. So the Bible has all these wonderful answers. I know I've went all over the place, but back to Matthew 19. Well, Matthew 19, as, as I said, this is a, a key text. And uh, starting at verse 3, we're going to read it. And we're going to read 3 through 9 if you guys have your Bibles and you're, you're looking through this. And it starts with, Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, beginning ah, from the beginning, made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Okay, Before you move on, yeah. let's just talk about that a little bit. And yeah. We'll probably maybe slow down through the text, like those first few verses are great. So let's understand the background there. And many Jews, as far back as the first century now, had kind of almost like a no-fault divorce understanding that you can just divorce your wife for pretty much any cause at all. And then there were others who, among the Jews, who believed that no, there has to be specific reasons and that have to be very serious reasons. 
and some would say only if there was adultery or sexual sin. And there were two competing viewpoints. So it's important to understand the background of what's happening here because when they're addressing Jesus, notice it says they were testing him. They're constantly trying to divide the people that were following Jesus and listening to him because they're jealous of him, plus the spirit of Antichrist or you know, was already at work at that time. And they would try to test him. For instance, you know, uh, you know, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Uh, a lot of them didn't really care about that question. They cared about some of them believed it wasn't. Some of them believed it was. And whatever he gave, whatever answer he gave, he'd lose his, some of his following. That's why Jesus says whose inscription is on this coin. It says Caesar. Render to Caesar what's Caesar's, but render to God what's God's. In other words, we're made in the image of God. That's the image that's stamped on us, and we need to give our lives to him. He always had the perfect answer. So when he's asked this question, there's these two competing viewpoints that are very, very popular. At that time, uh, two different rabbis that had a huge following uh, that came not, these rabbis were alive not too long before Jesus in the in the first century, you know, B.C. Uh, one was named Hillel and one was named Shammai. And on this subject, uh, Hillel was more liberal and Shammai was more conservative. And Hillel's viewpoint was, and that's where a lot of the rabbinical thought was coming from, was that you could basically divorce your wife for any reason at all, uh, for a lot of different reasons anyway, right? In fact, Use different. You, you find in rabbinical writing that if, you know, because they would dispute what it meant when God gave a provision for divorce in Deuteronomy 24. If a man found uncleanness, and this is important to understand, because uh, a lot of the debate revolves around this, and Jesus is, I believe, going to specifically address this, even though when he first speaks, he doesn't address it because he's letting them know God's, God's intention, which is brilliant because he's God in the flesh, and that's why his words are just pure gold, right? Is uh, that's provision was if a man finds uncleanness in his wife, uh, he can divorce her, give her right into divorcement, right? Uh, but that word uncleanness, what does that mean? Now, obviously, when that was written uh, by Moses and given to the people, they understood exactly what that word meant in that cultural context. By the time you're dealing with, you know, just before Jesus and Jesus' time and prior to that as well for a while, uh, they debated the meaning of that. So Hillel felt, and I'll just talk about some of the interpretations and understandings briefly uh, that some people had that were kind of influenced by Hillel is if your wife is a bad cook and you consider the food like unclean, it just doesn't taste good, man. She burns the bagels every time she tries to cook them, you know, get a divorce, boom. If a man found a woman prettier than the one he married, she looked unclean in comparison to this beautiful gal. So he could divorce her. I'm not saying Hillel said this. I'm just saying this is kind of thinking, this led to this these kind of viewpoints. If your neighbors heard you arguing because you had a wife that was contentious. That was grounds. So you had all these things. So that you have that one view. Then you have Shammai. Okay. Uh, I'm related to him. My name's Shimmel. Name kind of changed. Dude. I'm just kidding. But Shammai was a little more conservative, uh, quite a bit more conservative on this. And he didn't allow for all these different reasons and any reason. It was more sexual sin, you know. Uh, uh, sexual sin was the main thing that he permitted divorce for. So you had this disagreement as to what was allowable in regard to divorce and remarriage. So when they asked Jesus, it's supposed to be a trick, like trap question. Is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason at all? And what does Jesus answer? Chad, you read the whole answer, the first part, his, his first answer to that, and answer that main question. What does he do? He goes back, to, he doesn't give any reason at all. He doesn't say for this reason or that reason. He says, in the beginning, God created a male and female. Haven't you heard? You know? And, and this is kind of like in, in debating among the Jews, there was the idea of, called like the law of first mention. 
If you could find something that showed God's first intention, you get the heart of God's heart of what something's about, it was considered golden. And Jesus basically inspired by the Holy Spirit those words that were given in Genesis, right, through Moses, and shows God's intention, and his intention from the beginning was that what he joined together, let no man separate. In other words, the first answer, and if I do any premarital counseling, I say, this is God's highest right here. Don't let anybody separate you guys and stay together until death do you part. And when we make you make a marriage covenant before your family, friends, witnesses, I'm going to ask you to say I do to will you stay married through sickness and you know health problems and better for, for you know richer for poor, better worse, all these things and sickness and health. And you're going to say I do because that's what I'm going to say. And I use the traditional because I believe it's very very biblical a wedding covenant. And then I bring in some additions which I take right from scripture. Will you love your wife as Christ loved the church? You know, will you will, willing to lay your life down for it? Because I believe, um, I was always like, why don't they put Jesus and te- Paul's teachings right in there with those traditional ones? Traditional ones are great, so I add that. But uh, now they're not going to like his answer because they feel like he's sidestepping what they're questioning him, and what he's doing is getting the heart of the issue. He knows what's coming, and then he gives another brilliant answer. Of course, because he is Jesus, uh, <laughs> and it says in verse seven. Now, it says, they said to him, so in response to all that, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. Okay, we can, okay, you read the Yeah, let me finish out verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Okay, and we'll return to that last part in a minute, but let's focus on this part before that, though, because they, you know, they say to him, why didn't did Moses command us to divorce our wives? Notice they use the word command. Like Moses, like, if you find a cleanest in your wife, man, you just should divorce her. That's not what Moses is commanding you to divorce her if you find a cleanest in her. And notice that Jesus uses a different word. Notice they say, why does Moses command us to divorce our wives? What does Jesus say? What word does he use? He said to them. Moses what? Said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted. Permitted. Yeah. Okay, it's different from permitting and commanding something. So you can already see, and I think it's just brilliant how the Lord brings out where they were at. They were like, yeah, this is good, man. And they probably used that against their wives. That, hey, if I think you're unclean, you know, I'm commanded to divorce you. It's something God wants me to do. And Jesus is saying, Moses permitted you, permitted you to divorce your wives in, 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 in a certain case, in certain a certain type of, uh, with regard to a certain type of sin there. And so I think that's very, very important that we understand that. He permitted it, you know. It was only a command in the sense that sometimes you could speak of uh, his word, obviously we do as commands, but they're using it in the sense of he wanted, in the context of he wanted us to divorce our wives in this kind Mm -hmm. of setting. And now notice also that, that Jesus says something very fascinating here as well. And we can miss these little things which I think are so meaningful. That's why it's important to really look at a text closely. Is He says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. So what does he do? He's saying, hey, I'm not ignoring your, your argument. I'm going back to what God's original intention is for marriage. It should, And, and that's, we have the same role, you know, and I'm even giving that to you in our premarital counseling with you and, uh, you and Holly. Uh, but is we, you know, my wife and I tell people we don't use the D word. We treat it like a cuss word because it, it really is a, a, a bad word in most contexts. I'm not saying 
There's never a time or a place. Yeah, it's like using the word hell improperly. You yeah, know, exactly. If we're talking about warning about hell versus using it as an expletive, right. it's entirely different And if you use divorce, it as a you know? threat or cavalierly, you know, uh, jokingly, I might divorce you or, you know, uh, that's, not, that's not good, you know. So what's interesting here, though, and I think it's very, very important to understand, not only did Jesus say he permitted, but then he permitted only for, and then he's also strengthening this point now. He permitted it for a reason. He says, and this is what's heavy. And you think he might say he permitted it because if your wife's just really, really evil. No. He says he permitted it because of the hardness of your hearts. In other words, he said, guess what? He allowed or permits divorce in case of uncleanness. Okay, because he can address that. But, he's, but because of the hardness of your hearts. And when I first was a young Christian, I was a new pastor. I was like, Lord, I'm going to have to deal, especially living in California, with this issue. A lot, probably. And people come into the fellowship. People, you know... Uh, California is bad, right? So I need, but I want to, I don't want to, I want to compromise your word and what your heart is as a young pastor in my 20s at the time. I was like, Lord, I want to really, really understand, you know, if I'm missing anything with regard to divorce and remarriage. And when I come across that passage that uh, he permitted you for the hardest of your heart, I'm like, I was familiar with what he's talking about in Deuteronomy 24 as far as the Lord says, if a man finds uncleanness in his wife, he can, right, give her a right of divorcement. And I said, but it, where does it mention the hardness of his heart? I, I know when Jesus says he did this for that reason, I know that was the motivation that God did it for because Jesus said it and that had to be the motivation. But is it in the text? I thought, I don't see it in the text, but it doesn't have to be in the text. But then I revisited the text again and reading it that way, boom, there it is, man. It's in the text. If you go to Deuteronomy 24, it says, if a man finds uncleanness in his wife and she finds no favor in his eyes, what's that? No mercy, no forgiveness. Remember when God flooded the earth because their thoughts were only evil, continually filled with violence and sons of God are in relation to the daughters of men. All these things are going on. It says, Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. He found mercy, right? So uh, when he finds uncleanness, a man and a wife that has been involved in uncleanness, which is not burning the bagels, it's not being too loud in an argument, you know, it's not a, her not being as pretty as the woman that moved in next door or whatever. That's not biblical uncleanness. We'll see that in a little bit. But... Uh, it's, it's, and we're going to get to it in a minute, but it's sexual sin. And he can't have favor on her. He can't forgive her. He's having a hard time. He can't have mercy on her. God's allowed a man to divorce a woman who's been unfaithful to him, as we'll see. That's what the context is there. If he can't get over it, he's allowed that. Why? Because if a man is filled with anger and hatred because of this sin that's taking place in this marriage and his and it so destroyed his heart, God recognizes that that's going to cause more harm and destruction. Maybe you have an O.J. Simpson situation, you know, and that happens in a lot of places where it gets bloody and everything else. So God allows it. By the way, God wasn't saying, you know what, with this marriage thing I have, you know what, things might get kind of tough so you can divorce your wives. You think they're unclean? Not being cavalier about it. He's recognizing that people are brutalizing each other. He's recognizing people that are divorcing each other before he brings the lion. And he's mitigating that. He's saying, hey, no, you're only allowed to leave your wife in this context. Which brings us to the next verse that you had just read, where Jesus gives us exactly what that uncleanness. Remember the debate between Hillel and Shammai, yeah. of the rabbis, was surrounded around that word uncleanness and what it meant. Jesus identifies the meaning of that word for us. Yeah, and it's in verse 9, it says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. And the immorality there is sexual immorality, porneho. 
Yeah, um, no, sexual sin. And and it's sexual sin. And then I was going to read from Deuteronomy 24 so you can see yeah. exactly what Joe was talking about here. And I'm going to read the whole section one through and five. And by the way, this will be really helpful too because yeah. there's two extremes. There's people that, there's a lot of people in the church claiming to be Christians and just divorcing each other for any reason at all, which is unbiblical. There's others who say, oh no, you can't get any divorce at all. That's if in the comments right now. Yeah, that's in the oh, comments over okay. and over again. And they say, no, yeah. no, you can't get divorced at all. Well, then you're contradicting Jesus, who makes it really clear right here that if a man divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual sin, and marries another, he commits adultery. In other words, he gives the exception clause. The exception clause, you have to you have to contradict Jesus, and you have to contradict. If somebody left that in the comments, or a few people have, I mean, a few remember? people have, yeah. Okay, they need to read what Jesus is referring to in Deuteronomy chapter yeah, twenty-four, that's perfect. where it just spells yeah. it out as clear as day. Which is why exactly why I wanted to read it, because sometimes we get to answer questions uh, before we ever even have to answer the question. Because Deuteronomy 24 makes it clear. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because There's the hardest of he heart. has found, exactly as he had talked about, has has found some indecency in her. And, and he, the indecency, Jesus says, is porneo. Porneo, okay. yep, that's right. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. And she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. By the way, she's now another man's wife. Not the wife of him anymore. He had biblical grounds because he found there was uncleanness in her, which was sexual sin, Jesus says. He gives her ready to divorce, but she becomes the wife of another husband. So it is a biblical divorce because there were biblical grounds. Thus saith the scripture. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who set her away, is not allowed to take her again to be his wife, since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin onto the land, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. But here's verse 5. Remember, people that are saying, you cannot remarry, it cannot happen if you get divorced for any reason, even for adultery. Verse 5, when a man takes a new wife, he shall not go out with the army, nor be charged for any duty. He shall be free at home one year, and shall give happiness to his wife, whom he has okay. taken. And by the way, keeping your wife happy is biblical. Sorry. <laughs> Amen. And by the way, I, I don't see how God can make it any clearer. He shows a man here that divorces his wife because of uncleanness. Jesus identifies that as sexual sin. She becomes the wife of another man because they're divorced. She can divorce, marry another man. She can't go and commit adultery and then just go marry another man because he would have to divorce her because if that man does refuse to divorce her and says, no, I want to be with you still, then she's still married until he releases her and divorces her. He divorces her, though, in this state, so he's no longer married to her. That's why she could become the, the wife of another man. However, as Chad pointed out by reading verse 5, this man then takes a new wife. God doesn't say that's wrong. He says that actually he's cast favor on him and pronounces a blessing on him that he's not to go to war for a year so he can solidify that new marriage. So you have a biblical divorce and you have a biblical remarriage. And then when Jesus is being questioned here, I think it's very, very important to understand this. He's, this is being addressed. They're saying for any reason at all. He's saying no, only in the case of sexual sin. And God's only allowed that because the hardness of your heart. And we just read, she finds no favor in his eyes. That's the hardness of the heart. This all fits together like a hand and a glove, okay? And by the way, for those who say, who say that you can't divorce, it's, it's absolutely unbiblical. And you can't remarry if you do get divorced. And are there ways you're an adulterer? And even if there's been adultery on the other person's part, and that's what we're talking about, if there's been adultery on the other person's part and you divorce them and then you remarry, you're an adulterer. Do you realize you are calling God an adulterer? That's what you're doing. Because I can show you in Jeremiah chapter 3 where God's wife, Israel, becomes apostate 
turns to other idols. And he says in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah things like, what false god did you not spread your legs for? Yeah. Woo, man, that's heavy language. And they played the harlot and so forth, he says. And in Jeremiah chapter 3, he says, they left him, they forsook him. And we read through Jeremiah, they're given over totally to idolatry. They're not repentant. They only come back to him for blessing, but they're not going to be faithful to the Lord. So guess what he says? In Jeremiah chapter 3, he says, you did to me the same thing that your sister did, okay? The northern kingdom. And he's saying, Judah, you're doing the same thing that the northern kingdom did. And he goes, I, he gives you, he gives her, he mentions giving her a writing, he says, of divorcement. God divorces his people. He divorces Israel. Just, he divorces Because Judah. of adultery. Because of adultery. In fact, he says, because they went and became another man's wife, so to speak, or became a harlot, that if he brought them back to the land, guess what? He'd pollute the land if he brought them back. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 24 of his own relationship with Israel. Remember he says, if a man divorces his wife, right? And then he marries another. He can marry another, but if he brings that wife back, right? That old one, he'd pollute the land, the first wife. And God goes on to say there in Jeremiah chapter 3, when it says he gave him a right of divorcement, he goes on to say that if I bring you back, will the land not be polluted? So guess what? God has been divorced. And guess what? God got remarried. Guess what? Who is God? Yahweh, Jesus. He's the God of the Old Testament. Amen? And guess what? God becomes a man. And now we have become engaged, and now we have become married to him. And so the Lord took a new wife. And now that wife that he's taken, by the way, is made up of Jews and Gentiles, and it's glorious. So uh, you, you actually say that someone can't divorce and remarry, otherwise it's wicked. You're basically saying God is wicked. God had grounds. God's perfectly holy, absolutely 100% holy. There's no shadow of turning in him and so forth. He had biblical grounds to divorce his wife, and he did. Why? Because she refused, not because he had heart as a heart, but because she refused to repent and come back to him. And guess what? He couldn't bring her back without breaking his own law. And because she deserved what? Death. So how does he save her? Because he loves his wife that he had to send away. He can't bring her back under the old covenant. Deuteronomy 24 will pollute the land. Well, how does he bring her back? Jeremiah 31. He says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Verses 31 through 34. Not like the covenant I made with you on Mount Sinai. That was the first way he wedded his wife, right? He can't bring her back under that covenant. He'll pollute the land. So he said, I'll make a new covenant whereby I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm not going to bring, make a covenant. It's not going to be like the covenant I made with you at Sinai when I was a husband to you. Notice he was a husband to them. He divorced them. How does he make a new covenant? He becomes a man, slaughtered on the cross, dies for the sins of the world, that whoever comes to him becomes the bride of Christ, and they're now under a new covenant. Now he can receive everybody, including the Jews who forsook him, right? Those who would return to him through faith will be saved now, not through the law, but through what Christ would do on the cross in the past. And now we look back to the cross. So that's how this all fits together beautifully. It's, it's perfectly symmetrical. We don't leave any verses out. Somebody might bring in a verse and say, hey, this says if you divorce your wife and, and you marry another, you commit adultery. And look, look what it says. Yeah, well, look at Jer Matthew 19. You have to put all scriptures together where you have the exception clause. And look at Deuteronomy 24. Look at Jeremiah chapter 3. You have to look at all the different passages on marriage and divorce, not take one or two and make that your doctrine. You need to put them together and say, what do they all say together when you put them all together? What's, what's God actually saying here? It's powerful, but it's no, clear. No, I think it's, I think it's really, really important for us to look at all these scriptures. And it is, it is, it's sad when I see some people's views on this because, like I said, the extremes on both sides are pretty bad. And when we get to also looking at the rest of the new covenant that we have, right? When we have the words of Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, because people are wondering, 
you know, well, what, what's being said in 1 Corinthians 7? And I can read the whole text there if you would like, and, and we can kind of just go and dig into it because there's a lot of questions to be answered because people are asking about what about somebody who is abused, whether psychologically or physically, what if somebody's with a swindler and, and they may be involved in some sort of crime situation where they're going to be now involved in a crime. And we talked a little bit about, uh, we didn't bring up Ananias and Sapphira, but we did talk about specifically husbands and wives and a wife not following after the lead of her husband if it goes against the word of God, specifically if it goes to lying against God. But 1 Corinthians 7, we, we have to see, is there another provision there that he gives in terms of divorcement, in terms of giving uh, for divorce? So we need to look at that as well. Yeah, there is. Keep in mind, when Jesus was speaking to the Jews, he was speaking to those who are under the law. He's referencing Deuteronomy 24. Uh, when we get to the new covenant now, uh, there is an addendum, there is a situation where the Apostle Paul allows another provision under the New Covenant. And that is, he talks from 1 Corinthians 7, 11, he says that plan A again is to stay married, just what Jesus was saying, basically saying in Matthew 19, that's God's highest, right? So 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about a husband and wife uh, that are at odds with each other. And in verse 11, uh, he says, you know, num num point number one in this particular verse, don't leave your husband. Don't leave them. But if you do, Okay, these would be those that didn't have grounds, right? If they do, he says, either remain unmarried or be reconciled. So for those who say, oh, well, what if, you know, what if the husband has done drugs or what if the husband has it yells at me or he's been abusive? Isn't that grounds? I have to stick with the scripture. And that's where it gets too loose for me. And I know a lot of Christians teach, oh, yeah, that's grounds now too. I don't see that anywhere in scripture where Paul does give another provision there, but that's, that's not those things, right? Which we'll get to in a moment. So, but Paul says for those who don't have a relate, they have a willing spouse, a non-believing spouse, believing spouse wants to be with you, still wants to stay, hang out with you, stay with you in the marriage. Paul says, don't leave them. However, what if the what if it is abusive though? What if the person is actually being physically abusive, right? And you're like, man, I don't have grounds for divorce, but I'm supposed to stay here and have him stab me in the back or stab me at night or something because he's pulled a knife on me. Well, then guess what it says? And I had to face that problem in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 11, with a sister in the fellowship who had a husband who there was no evidence at the time had been sexually immoral, but he was pretty brutal in some ways and not physically abusing her. But one day he pulled out a knife and stuck it in the table. And she goes, what do I do now? I go, you know what? 1 Corinthians 7, 11 says, went through that verse, to not leave. However, it does say, I told her, it says this, but if you do leave, because you feel threatened. I said, you might feel threatened and feel like you need to leave. So I'm not going to tell you to stay there at all right now. Not if he's pulled a knife out on you and threatened you. So if you do leave, I said, it says remain unmarried or be reconciled. So I believe the Lord's allowed that provision for those types of situations when there is abuse. He doesn't say, because why, well, why, can't, she, why can't she remarry? Because she's still married. That wasn't the biblical grounds for divorce. So she's still married in the sense that there's a covenant with him, but now she's not joined together with him in a marriage, marriage relationship because they're separated. So she's supposed to stay in that state where, or she's supposed to be reconciled. Now they may have filed, he may have filed divorce or she had remained unmarried, he says, okay? And, and, or be reconciled, get counseling, hopefully. And we've seen a ton of people who have been in situations to where, I had a gal come to my front door as a young pastor with a black eye, big shiner. And I could have said, oh, yeah, you know what? You can divorce your wife, your husband, and remarry and stuff. That's not biblical. I couldn't tell her that. I said, man, you know, let's try to use some marriage counsel. Let's try to get this worked out and so forth. 
This couple, you would never know. They have a great marriage all these years later. Nobody even knows for the most part who that even happened to. You would never know, you know? Uh, there's a lot of things I know I've dealt counsel people through and I've seen glorious returns by sticking to the word of God. Otherwise, guess what? I could have broke up that whole family by giving bad counsel. Those kids love their parents and it's been a, it's a beautiful family and so forth. So it's important for us to stick to the Bible. But I but to this one sister, I said, hey, it says stay. But if you're in a situation now like this, why does Paul say plan B though? If you're going to leave, remain unmarried or be reconciled. Because that shows you that there's not grounds to remarry. The widows can remarry. In fact, they're encouraged if their husbands die, if they're under 60, Paul says to get married and bear children and so forth. So it must, you're not talking about a widow situation. We're talking about, we're not talking about an adulterous situation. Re, be, remain unmarried or be reconciled, seek counseling and so forth. I'm just telling you what the word of God says. I'm telling you straight what the scriptures say. So uh, this has other ramifications though. Well, what if a non-believer leaves you and they don't want to be remarried? They don't want to be with you. They're just like, I'm married to someone and they don't want to be with me anymore and so forth. And now I'm just stuck. I'm just always, no, because that's where Paul gives the addition. That's where Paul says very clearly in 1 Corinthians 7 that if a non-believer leaves you, you are not bound to that marriage. The Lord has called us to peace. So you're no longer bound to that marriage. If you're not bound to that marriage, that means you're not married anymore biblically, legally, before God. And therefore, if you remarried after that, it wouldn't be adultery. Why? Because you're not bound to that marriage. That marriage is not affecting God's eyes anymore if, if it's a non-believer that leaves you. Okay? So, uh, but some people want to say, well, hey, you know what? If the husband's a mean guy, he's kind of left you emotionally. You can't start doing that with God's word because I don't believe you can do that because then you start messing with God's word so you can get what you want. So, but I, but we have to believe that God is is imminent, not imminent meaning any moment, but imminent, M-A-N-E-N-T, uh, where we're talking about God being close, near. He's a God that's far because he's transcendent, but he's a God that's near. He's in our lives. He loves us. So whatever situation you find yourself in, he doesn't put us in a situation or allow us to go through things that we're not able to handle, but always gives us a way of escape that we may be able to endure it. So whatever your situation is, uh, he wants you to endure it biblically, and he won't give you too much where you'll just be crushed under it because he's a God of grace. He says his grace is sufficient for us. If you're married to somebody and this is what's heavy to me. There's not a whole lot about marriage in the scripture that shows me that what God says is powerful about it and enough to get us through. Is when you go to 1 Corinthians 7 and you're married to a non-believer, he wants you to stay with them if they're willing to be married to you still. And he says, how do you know, oh man, that you won't win your wife? How do you know, oh wife, that you won't win your husband to Christ? Right? And when you go to 1 Corinthians, or 1 Peter, that's 1 Corinthians 7. When you go to 1 Peter, he says that the unbelieving, the believing wife that's married to an unbeliever, okay? He's not godly, he's not showing godly leadership. She's not supposed to do anything wicked that he tells her to do, of course, but she's not supposed to leave him either. And he, she's told to win him, that he, he can win him to Christ through her chaste behavior as he sees Christ in her, you guys. So understand this, people. Man, if I wasn't married to this person, I would be on the mission field winning people to Christ. But guess what? That is your mission field. And you think you could be a pretty radical missionary? You just be a radical missionary where you're at because it takes radical missionaries that are married to non-believers. That can be really, really, really difficult. Some non-believers can be pleasant to a degree. We're all fallen, right? And they don't know Jesus. And they can be hard to live with one way or another, just like some believers can be, right? But we'll have trouble in the flesh. Even two believers getting married, Paul says, as I mentioned earlier. But uh, and other believers are really, really hard to, 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 to be with. But you've married this person. You've made a covenant with them. People are watching you. If the person is not threatening your life, right? And they're just kind of hard to be around, but you've married them. Man, it means so much to the Lord that you are a bright witness to those people if you have kids, it means even more to the children that they see that you love their dad or their mom, whoever you are. 
and that you emulate what it means to love. And love isn't just, you know, when it's so easy to love someone. You know, it's real easy for me to love Chad. Chad's a great guy. Real easy for me to love Tony, Tommy, my brothers and sisters are great people, you know. No one's perfect, you know. When, it, when love really counts is when it's hard. And when love really shines is when Jesus is on the cross, loving the people, that's when it shines the most, when you're not being loved back. And that gives us the most, the best opportunity to show Christ when it's hard to love someone, is to say, God, by your spirit, give me that agape, where I can agapapo the person that you've put in my life sovereignly, your providence, here they are, and I'm going to love them and shine Christ, the light of Christ, like I couldn't do if I was, everything was peachy. Yeah, I think these things, guys, are very touchy, and they're, and they're, they're really hard uh, for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people have given um, some of the council rule that apparently even from a lot of the people commenting uh, has just not been that that, that is found in, in Scripture. Um, a lot of people believing that if somebody, even if someone commits adultery, you are not allowed to remarry. Um, that's yeah. what people are well, saying. Are they, are they, do we have to read Jesus' words again? I mean, I don't read Jesus' words a thousand times over because yeah. they're, they're perfect. But Jesus says if a man, first go, Deuteronomy 24, God himself in the law of Moses, which Jesus is quoting for, says a man finds uncleanness in his wife, he can give her a certificate of divorce, and then he can remarry and become another man's wife. Read the first five verses. It's as clear as day. Read Jeremiah chapter 3. God divorces his own people, okay? And does he remarry? Yeah, we couldn't belong to Christ if we weren't his bride. He, he marries us. Jesus in chapter 19 of the book of Matthew says if a man divorces his wife except in the case of porneo, sexual sin, and marries another, he commits adultery. Except in the case of what? Porneo. If she has committed sexual sin and he divorces her and remarries, then it's not porneo. It's not adultery because based on Deuteronomy 24, she, he, he can remarry if there's been sexual sin. If the people commenting, are they bothering to read Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 5? Are they bothering to read Jeremiah 3? Are they bothering to read what Jesus said in Matthew 19? And if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, he says, why do you call me Lord and do not the things I say? How could we ignore what Jesus clearly says there, that there is an exception clause that you can divorce your wife only in the case of sexual sin and remarry. Otherwise, it is adultery. And what's interesting is when you find yourself biblical in certain situations, you find extremes on both sides. You find, oh, you can divorce for a lot of other reasons. Or, no, there's no divorce at all, like the Roman Catholic Church, you know? No. Well, the Roman Catholic Church isn't adhering to Scripture, as they don't in a lot of other areas as well. No, that's that's very true. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because we talk about 1 Corinthians 7, and we talk about specifically the separation clause that God gives a woman. Whether or not you agree, uh, whatever your viewpoint is, you have to come to the place where you say, there's my opinion, there's God's opinion, and one of those is wrong. And when 1 Corinthians 7 makes it very clear that separation should happen, if a, if a woman is scared for her life, absolutely. If and In fact, I would say if a husband is doing illegal activity to the point where now she is going to be convicted of a crime, absolutely those are provisions that you would look at 1 Corinthians 7 and say, this is obviously not a livable situation, but it does not give you the ability to therefore write a certificate of divorce. And I want to no, think and, about... And we, yeah. But then again, for anybody yeah. listening, we're not saying that that allows for remarriage uh, if at all. Yeah. So yeah, if the spouse true. leaves you, the non-believer leaves you, then you're not bound to the marriage. There can be remarriage. But if you leave them because you, you believe that they're just involved in legal activity, legal activity, that doesn't give you the right to divorce them and remarry. That gives you the right, according to 1 Corinthians 7, 11, to uh, be separated from them and then to be reconciled or remain in that state of separation, but not remarriage. And until, now what if a man, what if a woman leaves a husband because he's involved in threatening her life and so forth, and she she remains unmarried, right? And she can't be reconciled because he's not getting right and so forth, and she fears. 
But what if that man then he goes and sleeps with a woman? He goes on with his life. Well, again, guess what? Now she has biblical grounds because now he is in adultery and now she has grounds to remarry. Yeah. Via the courts of heaven, how God views this. Yeah, and people uh, are asking, you know, if you do leave that spouse, right? And they were asking if that that spouse then then leaves, you separate because this person's abusive, and then they find a relationship with someone the else. The other person? The other person. The, the well, spouse be, that you left? The spouse that well, you that, left. Well, that's what I was just addressing, not knowing yeah. that came up, but yes, because now that spouse has entered it, has refused to get right with you and change their wicked behavior of violence or whatever it is, and now they're sleeping with someone else. Well, now guess what? Now you have biblical grounds based on the porneo, because uh, in the New Testament church age, in Christ there's neither male nor female, all one in Christ, the woman now has the right, or the husband, if a non-believing wife leaves him, and then she ends up in an adulterous state. Now you have biblical grounds to move on from that marriage and remarry. Because that basically allows for the severance of that marriage covenant. The reason, I think this is important to understand, God doesn't say, hey, if you divorce and you remarry, I'm calling that adultery just because I want to call you an adulterer. No, the reason a man leaving a wife without biblical grounds is adultery is because God does not recognize the divorce. This is important to understand. Yeah, no, no, he doesn't yeah. recognize that that's a divorce because you don't have biblical grounds. Now I'm going back to Jesus' words. If a man, let's say for instance, I'm like, you know what? My wife bit, bit, burnt the bagels three times in a row. Lisa, I can't believe he did that. You know, I'm divorcing you. And then I divorce her and I marry another gal. Guess what? I've married into an adulterous state. Because God sees me as still being married to Lisa because I didn't divorce her and didn't have biblical grounds. However, if I divorced her for biblical grounds and she had cheated on me, now Jesus said, except in that case, I can't remarry. But in that case, yes, you can remarry. Because guess what? That, that provides biblical grounds for the severance of the marriage. I'm no longer biblically married. Therefore, when I marry another at that point, it's considered a marriage. That's exactly what we see in Deuteronomy 24. He sees uncleanness in his wife. Jesus says it's sexual sin. He divorces her. She becomes the wife of another husband. God recognizes that one too, by the way, because he's not trying to punish either of them. He just recognizes that's a bona fide divorce. They're not married, so neither of them are committing adultery now. Doesn't mean their hearts are right with Jesus. That's another thing. Now he gets married, chapter 24, verse 5, to another woman. God pronounces them husband and wife. He says, yes, they're a marriage in God's eyes. It's 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 cut dry, guys. It's really, really clear. And quit going by tradition and things you've heard yeah. and go by the word of God. No, I and, I'm, and I saw this argument, and I, I have to bring this out. I, you know, I'm not going to call you out personally, but when you say that Matthew 19 is about betrothal, but then once again, and not marriage, guys, go read the text. It's not betrothal. Um, because in a betrothal, two people don't come together to be one flesh. And the quote is from Genesis 2.24 that yeah. Jesus gives regarding that. That is that you don't have sex during a betrothal period. That's right. So you can't say that Matthew 19 is is just talking about betrothal. That's just not biblically accurate. And once again, it's not understanding the text that Jesus is drawing in from. Deuteronomy 24, so that's Deuteronomy 24 and Genesis 2. Yeah, and and don't miss what Chad just said. He just shared something really, really important to you. The context, context. We always say context is king. He said it. Matthew 19. Jesus is talking about two becoming one, and when they become one. Don't divide them. He's talking about the sexual, knowing each other sexually, becoming one physically. That's not talking about betrothal. They would be could be stoned to death if that happened before their marriage in those days, right? So uh, he's definitely not talking about betrothal. And Chad, and I, I know I'm repeating exactly what Chad said, but that's because apparently some people are totally missing the point there. And that's because whoever's writing that probably heard someone say, oh, that's because they don't want to acknowledge what Jesus is saying. Probably told them or they probably read or just somehow they were led to the, that, oh, this is just talking about them being engaged. 
No, the context is not engagement. There, the context is marriage, just as it is in Deuteronomy 24. And don't say that God was just engaged to Israel. He says that she was his wife, and I was a husband to you. You know. No, yeah, no. These things are really important. And, and you know what? I, I'm reading some of the comments. I do see some some of you guys and some of you ladies dealing with abusive husbands and, and so forth. And these things, and hearts break for you in that. Oh, I, I just so sick. Yeah. Especially Any those husband abusing a wife, you better get right with the Lord, man, because you're in huge trouble with him, man. Better find ease, repent, and pray for self control. And start following Jesus. Yeah, amen. And, you know, I was just counseling with someone recently. They were asking questions about marriage and so forth. And a lot of people will look at the text in Matthew 19 and they'll see, well, look, I have, and they'll almost look at it, I have a command rather than giving the, the ability to now, right, to, to give them this certificate that they can give them a certificate of divorce if their heart has come to a place where I just can't look at you and not be reminded of that adultery that you committed against against God and against me. And, and, and guys, ultimately, we serve a God that is a God of reconciliation, and we are a people who have been reconciled back to God. And ultimately, your goal should be, even mm. for the unbelieving, you have an unbelieving spouse, who you, how do you know you won't win him over? And that we want salvation for Amen. them. And, you know, there was a time, whether you got together when you were a believer and he was a non-believer and you did it in direct disobedience to God, the Bible's really clear, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the yoking that we should have is that of a believer and a believer, not of a believer and a non-believer. What does Christ have in common with Belial, a temple of God or the temple of idols? So if you're thinking about marrying someone who's a non-believer, just read the comments on here or ask a believer who's married to a non-believer what that kind of looks like because it is really sad. But the reality is, how do you not know that you will not win them over? And there was a time where you absolutely loved that person. Mm -hmm. And you tell me that you look at them and don't think, I just want that person in hell. No, you want yeah. them to be saved. Ultimately, even if God has given and granted the permission, right? Permitted is different than commanded in this yeah. regard. Yeah, and when we do counseling and there's been an adulterous situation, we never say, oh, you know what? You have grounds, why don't you just divorce them? What we do is we plead for them to have mercy not to have hardness of heart, to have favor on the person that has cheated on them and what have you. First of all, we preach holiness. We preach it strong. We preach living for the Lord. And we preach that be not deceived, adulterers, not inherit the kingdom of God. We don't preach easy believism. And once you're saved, you can just do anything in the kingdom of God. So therefore, we don't have a lot of people doing that. But once in a while, being a pastor for years, I've had to confront that situation with some people in the church here and there. But we are always, we always emphasize uh, forgiveness, mercy, reconciliation, and there's relationships I can spot in the fellowship to this day where I knew something might happen in the past and I counseled them to stay together and I'm so glad I did. And healing came. In fact, I'm going to say something right now. Some of the strongest marriages I know of, sounds crazy, but are relationships where they went through something very heavy, very painful early on in the relationship, but now they love each other more than ever because they were able to exemplify the love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the forgiveness. So we encourage people to reconcile but however, at the same time, I let the sister know or the brother know, you have the grounds though. So if you do say, hey, I can't handle being in this relationship, this person continues to, or whatever, I say, you know what? Uh, we're going to put our arm around you if you choose to divorce and still love you and accept you, not as a second-rate citizen of the kingdom of God, but as our brother and our sister, but you have biblical grounds, you're, you're just accepted as before, you know, by the blood of Christ, as all of us are accepted. So someone divorces with grounds, they don't suddenly become a second-class citizen of the kingdom of God. So, but we always try to emphasize reconciliation. And I think what Chad was saying is very, very important though, because a lot of people end up marrying non-believers and they think sometimes they'll call it the missionary dating. I'm going to marry this person and I'll bring them to Christ eventually. Yeah, I know they're going to come to Jesus eventually. 
And more often than not, that backfires. You know, there's cases where people have come to Christ, obviously, later on. But that's more the exception than the rule. And don't deceive yourself because Paul says, do I not, uh, Paul says, you have a right to those who can marry. You have the right, he says, to marry whoever you wish in the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 7. It says you can marry whoever you wish in the Lord. In other words, they have to be in Christ. And uh, Chad already mentioned 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17 and 18 there, where what fellowship does light have with darkness and a believer with an unbeliever. And the apostle Peter says, uh, or Paul says also in Corinthians 9, he says, do we not have the right as Peter or Cephas did to take a believing wife? Catch it again. Emphasis the believing wife. So the New Testament teaches that if you're not married, you're to marry a genuine. And I'll say, yeah, I think they believe in Jesus deep down in their heart. No, they need to really be a follower, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ before you bury them. Otherwise, you're getting married and disobeying the Lord, being unevenly yoked, and you're going to reap consequences, and you can't blame God for that. You just got to tell the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry I blew it, you know. And then he'll have mercy on you, he'll forgive you, of course, if you're repentant and sorrowful. But then ask him for the strength to be a witness in that marriage. And of course, the person is beating you up and abusing you. Then it says, first, then go to 1 Corinthians 7, 11. You know, stay with him if you can, but if he's abusing you, you can't because now he's abusing you. Remain unmarried or be reconciled. He gets involved in an adulterous relationship, then you're free to remarry even. Okay, that's the biblical teaching as we see it and we understand that. And many, many conservative evangelical Christians have the view that we're espousing because they've come to the same conclusions. Uh, you do have those who say, oh no, Matthew 19, that's, uh, you know, that, that's just betrothal, which obviously it's not. We just talked about the context, and they can't get around those other passages we mentioned. I won't regurgitate them uh, for you. Uh, but I just want to encourage you to stay biblical. Stay in the straight and narrow. Don't go left and just say, I can divorce, remarry for any reason at all. And don't become legalistic and say, nope, I'm going to make it stricter than what Jesus said and put people in bondage and have them disobeying what Jesus said because they're following your teaching rather than what Jesus taught. No, I think this is so important, and you literally have people trying to jump around this, and it's really, uh, it's really disturbing. Why? You know? Why do you want to have they place burdens on, on people? Yeah, Jesus talked about the Pharisees will encompass land and sea to make one convert, then they'll make them twice the child of hell, and they'll put upon them burdens that they themselves cannot bear. Why would you put a burden on someone who is is living with a serial adulterer? and an abusive adulterer who is sleeping with all kinds of women, get all kinds of diseases, saying, no, you don't have grounds to, to, to divorce that person. When Jesus clearly gave them, then you're putting a bondage in them, on them, and making them think they're going to go to hell if they don't follow your words. When Jesus set them free from your words, and then you put them in bondage, and you're like the Pharisees that Jesus condemned greater than anybody else because they put bondages on people that he never intended. Now, I understand some people just misunderstand the text, and I'm merciful on you. I pray and hope that you'll read it because that's probably, I guess, your conviction. But if you are ignoring the context of Matthew 19, that he's not talking about patrol right there, you're ignoring what Jesus says, and you're going for tradition over his words, you're bringing people into bondage because of that, that's a serious problem. You need to go for the Lord on that. No, I think these things are important. Uh, you know, it's it's sad because people do leave some pretty menacing things on, and, and like you said, place bondage on people. And, and to literally... I read the comment of somebody literally saying Jesus sidestepped Deuteronomy 24 with that text. Could you imagine actually believing that Jesus sidestepped Deuteronomy Jesus 24? Anything, man. That is I, head on to the cross. But here, here's the problem: is you know the Bible is very clear that the first to plead his case seems right, and for so many people, instead of examining it, the first time they heard this, they thought, "Wow, that makes it really sense, really cut and clear. Everything's really easy to understand." 
And then people bring out other things, but they're already so convinced. Uh, and a lot of times it's pride. It's not like, hey, I just want to be, I want to adhere to what the text says. And I want to say, what does God say in his word? Um, and you know what? We have to be somebody that says, God, I'm humble enough to recognize what does your word say? I'm going to be open to um, what your word says, because and, those kind of things right. are really and, dangerous. Amen, Chad. And keep in mind the context, too. When they're asking Jesus the question, <laughs> you have two sides among the, the, the different rabbinical teachings, right? When they address, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason at all? The debate isn't, is it lawful to divorce or not divorce, period? No, they recognize there's reason. They're both sides recognize there's reason. But the question was, what is the reason to divorce your wife? who you've been come one with and slept with to becoming one flesh, Jesus addresses the context there. Very clearly he's talking about a true marriage. So Jesus is addressing the context of what reason can you divorce your wife with. And basically under the law, he's letting them know for no reason at all, except in the case of sexual sin. Very, very clear. Yeah. No, I think these things are so important. And you know what? We did get a lot of comments, but we're coming up really against it right now. And and I think if we started getting into any of this... Part two of this down the line, maybe we can... Get some of those yeah, I actually already copy and pasted a, on that, a number you know? of them. But as you can see, one of the great things, you know, things like, hey, you know, Matthew 19 is just talking about betrothal. Well, that's answered real quick. We re recognize that a betrothal doesn't have sexual relations, and Matthew 19 has sexual relations. And these things can or be answered. Or you can't remarry again. Matthew 19, Deuteronomy 24. Yeah. Oh, it's evil if you ever divorce anyone at all. Jeremiah 3, then you're calling God evil. He divorced his, his people. So these answers, these all are answered in the scripture. Yeah, and and it is a it is a sad thing to watch people being mean spirit on on this as well. And you know sometimes it's just about waiting to listen and see what the entire answer is uh, in terms of scripture. And you know we want to encourage you guys uh, when it comes to this or, or any other issue, we need to just say what does God's word say. Amen. And and when we go to the text and and just you know for some help, uh, maybe you know if you got a pen pad and you say, hey, I just want to really mull over what you guys said because don't just take our words for it go back and read see what see what jesus is quoting one of the most dangerous things for people is to go into a study read a bunch of texts and not realize that there's a context by which someone's quoting from and when jesus is quoting from a context we need to understand that context so guys absolutely think about this obviously malachi 2 a starting point of god's hatred for divorce we want that genesis chapter 2 specifically when it has to do with leaving and cleaving together so so make sure you go and understand the text deuteronomy chapter 24 Matthew chapter 19 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I think if you want to really dig in on this topic, I think you could just go. And Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3. Oh, perfect. For good yeah. measure. Amen. As far as how to be in a good, solid marriage. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing we want to leave you with. I mean, the, the fact is, is we don't want a single, and, and we pray that. I know as a, as a church body, we pray that we don't want a single person divorced. We don't want a single person addicted to porn. We don't want a single person cheating on their wife. And a lot of times it starts digitally and then ends up physically Yeah, as well. and sometimes I think, Chad, what happens is a lot of the legalism is from men who have been cheating on their wives. Oh, well, you can't divorce me. It's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. They're ignoring because they want their wife. They want their wife to believe be brainwashed into thinking that if they're if they're cheating on their wife that she's stuck with them no matter what they do where jesus has presented through his law the old covenant and through now the new covenant a provision that if a man continues to cheat on you just as jesus's bride continued to cheat on him his wife continued to cheat on him in jeremiah 3 he gave her right into divorcement so a lot of times the legalism comes from people who don't want the other spouse to feel that they're stuck in that marriage no matter what they do them that's that's wicked yeah okay it's contrary to jesus teaching on the other hand, at the same time, uh, I've emphasized, and it, it's exemplified in Chad's marriage, 
uh, of 10 years coming up with my daughter, uh, my marriage to my wife, uh, over well over 30 years right now, happily, joyfully married in Christ, because we preach the Bible, and the fruit of biblical teaching is good, solid, healthy, beautiful marriages in Christ. I can say the same thing with uh, Tony. Uh, he's got, uh, got a blessed marriage as well. So I just want to encourage you guys, uh, if you are married right now and you're having hard times, uh, you, you, you know, just like suicide is ridiculous. Somebody can be in a valley and then they commit suicide, not realizing that they would have gotten out of the valley. It's contrary to God's word. So we want to encourage you in the name of Jesus to stay married if you're married. And even if there's been adultery, to try to forgive the person and be reconciled. And unless it's serial and you can't get over it and, and you're in tears and you do have that provision, but we encourage you that that should only be the last resort if there's biblical grounds. Yeah, and thank you guys so much. Um, whether you disagree with us or agree with us on this. We love you guys. The, We're all that's the biggest thing. And want to make sure you guys dig into the scripture. That's the most important thing over our feelings, over you know our traditions and so forth. We want to make sure that we dig into the scripture. Absolutely. Say, what does the scripture are. say? And we want to encourage you guys and thank you guys. And I pray for your marriage, if you're in a marriage right Jesus now. Jesus' name, Father, please you, strengthen the marriages. Or your future marriage as well. We just hope that uh, if that, or the fact that you're single and being used for God's glory. And so we ask uh, that the Lord would just bless this teaching, bless you guys, and you guys have a wonderful night. God bless you. Amen. Love you guys. You've been listening to The Good Fight Radio Show with pastor and author Joe Schimmel and host Chad Davidson discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how they relate to family, culture, and the church. To learn more about Good Fight Ministries, visit us online at goodfight.org. Join our growing social media family and consider partnering with us at patreon.com slash goodfight.